wonderful brethren that's on the field just to sit in the meeting and what the Holy Ghost says do, go do it. <laughs> I believe that ought to be pretty good, don't you? I just think that's right. Get the formal out of it and let God have a chance one time to say what he wants to say. We preachers always saying what we got to say, then let the Lord have a chance to say. And, I'm, and our good friends from South Africa, they say, will be there also. I understand they may be here in the meeting tonight, tomorrow night. They're to be here tomorrow night. These men, I met one of them, which set up, I believe, the Johannesburg meeting or the Dur I'll be the Durban meeting. A very fine brother, and so I understand one of their greatest among the influential speakers. And if they're to speak here tomorrow night, it would behoove all of Chicago that can pack this little place in to be here tomorrow night. You hear, I've got, they got pictures, I don't know where they'd be showing those or not, they got the pictures of some of the Zulu tribes and the heathen rage and many of those things which would be very interesting, you meeting these brethren. And that's tomorrow night, is it, Brother George? Ma'am, I'm sorry. I want to introduce to you the Massarino family. Will you stand up? That's Brother and Sister Massarino and family. They are all musicians. And they use all the they're with me this week. This week. They are from Memphis, Tennessee. Well, that's very fine. Brother, sister, Masserini, and family, we're certainly glad I am to have you here and all along with this congregation. I was a little late getting in tonight, but some minister introduced me to the United Brethren Church the other night and said, <coughs> Friends, the late Mr. Brown. <laughs> I said, That's right. I said, I was even about two hours late from a wedding. Now, if I could just be a few years late from a funeral, well, it'll be all right. <laughs> uh, so I had to hurry, but I got to hear one of the songs, I believe, the doors part of the way open when I was in the pastor's study, along with Christian soldiers. And I tell you, that was really wonderful. I've heard much of them. I'm sure you'll be enjoying their music. Everybody knows what I told you. Look for me out in heaven, didn't I? You know, the, the river of life comes out from under the throne of God. It comes down and turns the bend and goes down this way towards Glory Avenue, just where it turns. Well, all the angelic choir and the musicians are all be over on that hill uh, singing and playing their harps. And, and over on this side of the hill, I hope there's a little tree so I can just lean back against it and soak it in so I can really get enough of it. I really love singing and music. I know we all do. How many know what the order of battle is for the Lord? You know what the first thing went before the battle? Singers and musicians went forth singing, not weeping and wailing. They, they went forth singing. Then after that come the Ark of the Covenant. So we went before the Ark. Then after that come the fighters. <clears throat> so that's a good thing. It's a very scriptural order for a religious service. The first thing, the music, then the word. Then the battle. <clears throat> so it's all ordered of the Lord. Hear these brethren. And now uh, pray for me much, if you will. I've got some real vital decisions to make at Minneapolis, uh, the future plans for meetings, and I, I certainly ask, say, I believe I'm kind of secondarily associate pastor here, is that right? Yeah. So I, I ask my church to pray for me. <laughs> I believe John Wesley said that the whole world was his parish, is that right? right. So that's the way it is. I feel it's 
you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I certainly appreciate the time of fellowship with each and every one of you. <clears throat> now, I love the Word so well, I just love to talk on it, and tonight I thought maybe it would be appropriate for just a little while, being hot, and that we just have a good old-fashioned Sunday school lesson on Thursday night. Wouldn't you like that? Just to teach a little from the Word. I like Sunday school, and I like the teaching of the Word. And coming fast and had to hurry, I didn't get a chance to look over anything, so when I went into the study, I happened to come over to this scripture. And all that you have Bibles, let's turn over now to the book of Hebrews and the tenth chapter to begin with. Very beautiful setting here for a great, uh, great uh, teachings of the Lord. The book of Hebrews was to the Jews separating law from grace, as Paul wrote to them here. There have been many disputes in the church whether they should eat meat or whether they should uh, associate with the Gentiles. And I think Paul writing this epistle here to the Hebrews is one of the most outstanding letters in the book. It's, to me, it's great because it is showing the law of, and grace. It's uh, separating the two. And now, may the Lord add his blessings to his word and come and visit with us. And now, be much in prayer as we go to try to teach. I'm not a teacher, and my gift in the church is uh, praying for the sick. And say, by the way, we were talking of that. How many was over at the Indianapolis meeting? Or you remember the, I believe it said the last night, a mute girl or something or another? How many remembers little Rosella, what is her last name? The alcoholic was Gri Gri Griffin? Griffin, is she here tonight, Rosella? Um, she's from Joliet. And Rosella, uh, she called me. A couple nights after that, and I believe she either taken the girl from a mute school there or was with her while she was there. The girl was born deaf and dumb, never heard or spoke a sound in her life, and the Lord Jesus gave her a perfect hearing and speech right at the platform before most 10,000 people. Isn't he wonderful? And now the... I'd like to add this, Brother Brown. Yes, Brother. That when we were in Indianapolis now, there came a man up to me, as well as a lady. The lady may be here tonight, I'm not sure, that probably left from Minnesota. But this man, he had a uh, cancer, a big cancer on his back. Mm -hmm. And uh, he told me in Indianapolis, he said, before I reached the railroad station, the cancer had disappeared. I got a letter of that uh -huh. in my office. That uh -huh. was right. Yes, and then there was a lady. I know her very well. She, in fact, she's a member here in the church, but she lives in Embarrass, Minnesota. And she had a big tumor. And she came up right here on the platform. And she told me this in, Minne in Indianapolis. She said, on the way home, the whole thing broke and everything came up. And she said, if I hadn't bothered with it, I wouldn't have had a mark, but I should help God a little bit to have a little mark after that. Yeah. Isn't he wonderful? Uh, I really believe that the people are just now beginning to understand what I've been trying to tell them for many years about this healing. A man, I got picked up one of the letters as a past office, and he was sitting there. He had a, a paralyzed arm in his hands to grow down until his fingers 
He couldn't even move them up to trim the nails from them anymore, and they were hurting into his hand. He'd have to have surgery to cut, it, to cut them out. And um, he said that while he was sitting there, he said, I'll send you a picture, Brother Branham, both before and after, and said, I just caught the idea. Something happened in Indianapolis that had never happened before after going through a long prayer line and just weak enough so I could hardly move. Then all of a sudden, something picked up. And I looked up here, and here was a vision of people coming kind of streaming down the line. And you were in Indianapolis, know that hundreds times hundreds circled down to that altar and gave their life to Christ. He said he was sitting there like that. He said, you know, I now understand what the man's talking about. And he began to feel something tingling and burning in his hands, and it was his fingers just coming open like that, and it wasn't in his hands. He was, he was healed. And, and see, on the road, the man said he had the cancer in it, on his back, and it just went away. The, the, the people just now beginning to see. They've been used to laying on of hands and, and putting water or holy water or something on you or something. Well, that's all right. But that's secondarily. The initial way and the right way is just like you receive the Holy Ghost. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them and heard it. They were ready. And it's massive healing. It's not great long, worn out prayer lines. It's right now the presence of the angels of God and the Holy Ghost that brings perfect deliverance for anything. The world's got to be evangelized all at once. We've got to go. Two-thirds of the world never even heard of Christ. And we've got to hurry and do it. You don't have time just to bring up a uh, hundred tonight and tomorrow night all wore out. It's just right now the whole group sit in massive. And in Africa, there was 25,000 healings in one prayer. Think of it. And the other night on the platform, I don't want to start this testimony, so I better switch to the word quickly, but that you might know why on my heart, these brothers coming tomorrow night, very strange, I've been feeling to go to Africa. Difficult has rolled, not because of myself, but others that's connected with me, as uh, Brother Jose understands. And um, I was coming, dedicating a church, and some of them come up and said, Brother Bram, won't you have a little prayer line? I said, well, Brother, I sure will. I said, I can pray for the sick. There is many little churches, about 200 people, a little brother just come out of great tribulations and have a drunkard's life and got saved and went away to the church of God and was dedicating a wonderful little church by the name of Cash, Junior Cash of Charleston, Indiana. Someone come out and said, what do you mean, a minister? He said, I got a church that seats nearly 1,500 people, and I heard the telephone, that you, and here you are back there, in a, and you didn't come to my church, and here you are back there in a swamp, to a little brick structure or a concrete just sticking sideways in. I said, you don't need help. He does. <laughs> That's the one that needs help. And in the line coming down, just praying for the sick, I've seen a, a girl, a colored girl, and we know the, the dark race of people, the colored people, come, their native home is Africa. Just like the yellow man is from China, the Anglo-Saxon from Ireland, England, so forth, Swedish. When they separated from Eden or from Babylon, some of them went down into hot countries, and some went in mutual countries, and some went in way up in the north, and some was bleached white, and some got brown, and some yellow, some black, but they're all by one blood, and that was Adam. God of one blood made all nations. 
Each man, the black man, the yellow man, the brown man, the white man, you know, put the plasma from the blood, it's all the same, just the same. It's just the way the climate colors the people. And then going, seems the time coming close when I've got a vision wrote in the back of my Bible, we're going to Africa. They brought this young uh, Ethiopian girl, and as she was coming up, I noticed she was swinging her leg, and she was kind of a, what we call kind of a slim, thin girl, about 15, real skinny, well-dressed little lady. But I noticed her working her mouth, and just like that, the tears running down her cheeks. Well, I wonder what's the matter with that child. Well, when Mr. Cash brought her to the platform, her mother was behind her. He said, Brother Branham, the girl has a, a severed nerve from an automobile accident that bursted or something or other, the nerve that from her hearing and speech, she'll never speak or hear again, and said it was an automobile accident, and said, and doing so, it also done some other nerve that the doctor had to tie off, which makes her with her leg like that, it's stiff in her side. Well, I said, that's sure too bad, poor kid. My heart goes out for her. And I said, uh, bring her here and let me pray for her. So as she was coming, I looked up over top of that girl's head. No visions had come. There was that tall grass, little mounds of anthills and things like typical of South Africa. The grass, the waving, I could hear the wind blowing even. I know something had taken place. That left me. I didn't know what to say. I stood there a few moments. I said, now, friends, I want to make this clear. I just saw come before me a vision for Africa. I said, perhaps maybe somebody's on the road here, or maybe he wants me to go over. It's time for the vision to be fulfilled, which will be exceedingly greater than the other one. And so then as I said, Heavenly Father, we don't seek signs. How many know what seeks after signs? A weak and adulterous generation. Is that right? We don't want to be classed like that. But I said, we're not. But yet you give signs. And I'm asking you, Ben, that I prayed and wanted to know what about going and so forth, when to go and so forth. But now, as this girl standing here in that vision has broke, if you want me to be ready to prepare for Africa, will you give this little child, poor little thing here, and a Christian, although the doctor says the nerves are severed, it has to be a work of creation, would you just give her back her perfect soundness, and I'll be a sign between you and I that I must make ready for Africa, not knowing that sailing right then with these brethren that will be here tomorrow night to make arrangements for the African campaign, knowing nothing of it. And when I took my hand from the little girl, she screamed, Mother, looky here! <laughs> And she was as perfect and normal as she ever was in her life. And there were some people there from a very formal church who denies the very existence of the Holy Spirit. Great denomination of the world today would argue with you to drop your head or fight either one that there was no such a thing as miracles. A great group of those people walked up there one by one, husband and wife, and shook my hand and said, Brother Branham, we have believed in miracles. But this confirms it that God is called this girl from our neighborhood. There you are. That's right. So God still rules and reigns. Amen. Oh, how we love him. The law 
having a shadow of good things to come. Listen to that. The law having a shadow of good things to come. Now, if we would have to type, which I do, do much typology, so then the law was a shadow, so all the law could not have been darkness. There has to be a certain percent of light in the darkness to make a shadow. Is that right? So many people are quoting the 23rd Psalm. They misquote it by saying, I go through the dark valley of the shadow of death. Now, if it was a dark valley, it wouldn't have any shadow. So you see, death itself under the law. To David, death now only is a shadow. There's a lot of light in death. Now, if it's all darkness, my, that would be horrible. But death is just a shadow. So there has to be light mixed with the darkness to reflect the shadow. Isn't it wonderful? No, yet the struggles in our throat. And how many knows Brother Bosworth? Oh, how the meetings he had in Chicago. While in Indianapolis, his wife called me and said, Brother Brown, your old friend is dying. Said he's got death rattles in his throat all day. And we tried to locate you everywhere. He's under an oxygen tent, unconscious. And he's rattled in his throat all day. And I believe he'll be gone before morning. And Brother Branham, we want you to preach his funeral. I said, Sister Bosworth, don't speak of that. Let's speak of something else. And we went over and fell on our knees before God and announced it to the church that night, of thousands of people. And the next night, Brother Bosworth called me up and talked to me on the phone. Yes, sir. He said, Brother Branham, I'd like to be with you in the Cato Tabernacle in a revival. He said, maybe we can go in the next couple of years sometime. <laughs> oh, I love that courage. No shadows, no, no, no negative. It's all positive with that old teacher. He knows right where he's standing. And every reader of the Bible knows that all that death can do is to put a shadow or spook before you. But it cannot hold you. Christ burst forth all those thunders of darkness and freed those that were in paradise in the shadows and they're in the positive now in the presence of God our Father. What a thought, not only a thought, but a truth that God has made manifest through his word. All the Lord did was foreshadow Jesus Christ. For in him is the perfection. And if I was going from the sun, and there was a, a sun at my back, it would cast a shadow. I could look at that shadow and pretty well guess what I would look like. Well, as a, a flying fowl or four-footed beast or whatever it would be, it would cast the shadow. And the law only cast the shadow of the coming of the Lord Jesus. All over here in the next chapter of Hebrews 11, chapter, how Paul speaking there told back the great heroes of faith how they escaped the age of the sword and, was, and the mouth of the lions were closed and great, wonderful things were done as the people lived under the shadow and could do all of that by faith. How much more ought we be able to do today? When the anti-shadow is here, 
When Christ has come and fulfilled all the law and has become a real, living, resurrected, glorified Christ in our midst, what kind of a people ought we to be? Why, I believe the time will soon arrive that when healing will be a miracle healing, will be such a common thing, we've got to get some rapture in faith in the church to go away from here one of these days. Law, having a shadow, have foreshadowed all the things. We could go back, if time would only permit, and get the great things like all through the coming of the ark at the flood, how Moses down in Egypt, and many of the great characters and the changing of the dispensation, how the law, by the word of the law, had supremacy, and how that everything else give away. When God's law spoke, it was law. Now, if God's word through the law spoke and taken the initiative, how much more ought the Holy Ghost in a human being has been born again by grace and called of God? Ought to be the the power that was behind that word when it was a push forward by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. What it ought to be today? The word having such a great effect, knowing that heavens and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. And the law was God's spoken, written word. What it was kept in a sacred place. It was sprinkled on top with blood. It had a crown laying on top of there to show that it was the king's word. And all those shadows, as today, the blood being sprinkled on the believer where the word of God goes forth from the believer. And what an effect it ought to have today when that's sprinkled by a lamb's blood and this sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ, our own conscience, from sin. And and defilement. What a forceful thing the law ought to be. That's where I find the weakness of the full gospel church is not having faith in this wonderful word that they have received. That's right. Let's stop here just a moment. Go back. Listen for a few minutes. What that word was. This word that we're reading from this Bible tonight was not only in its existence, from the pen of St. Paul and Luke, Mark, John, this word that we're reading out of this Bible was spoken before the world ever come into existence. Amen. Only thing they did was just write down what God had already spoke. The Bible said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, Let's take a little imaginary trip before the world ever begun. You know, Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I'll just take away the curtains and let's look into it just a moment. Then that'll give you courage for anything you have need of. As long as you find it written here, just take a hold of it. God will, God will make it right. Think of it. The world as it turned in a cycle, eternity, just eternity is like a perfect circle. It has no corners or no ends. If I started with a perfect circle here tonight, 
going around and around on this desk. It might cut through the desk, through the floor, through the earth, the billions of years and eons of time to come, it would still be going on a perfect circle, endless. That's the way that God was in eternity at the beginning. Now, we can't credit Satan to be a creator. He just perverts what God has already created. God created you to be perfect, and Satan perverted you to imperfect. God allowed you to be a, to your wife, a sweetheart, legally married, but to love someone else is to pervert that true love that you should have for your own wife. Satan does that. Your love ought to be to Christ undefiled. But Satan perverts that love to something of the world. He perverts it. So then when he perverted good to wrong and taken the angels with him, a little lock fell out of this perfect circle of eternity and dropped down to a place called time. It come in right here, goes around and goes out right over here. Time, eternity exists right on down through time. Now when Christ saw what Satan had done, when God saw it, back here at the beginning of time, notice now, now God at the beginning was no wiser or no less wiser than he is tonight. God is infant. You believe it? God is infant. Then he can never change. Now, we get a little smarter as we get older. The whole world gets a little smarter. You used to go to church in a Model T Ford. Tonight you can have a V8 in the same thing. Used to be the only way you'd get across the ocean is an old ship with sails on it. Tonight a jet plane will take you across. See, we get smarter. But not God. God was perfect at the beginning. He'll be just as perfect at the end. Now, Here's what I love. Listen at it now. If God is infant and perfect and cannot make a mistake, are you following me? If he cannot make a mistake, then the way God acted in the beginning when a crisis arose, he's got to act the same way when the same crisis arrived, or he acted wrong when he acted back then. You see it? Then, if God said something, he's got to stay with that in order to be God. Amen. That would make a Methodist religious, wouldn't it? Look at it. God got to stay with his word. You believe it? Amen. He's got to keep it. Then, if a crisis arose on earth, like the people dying in the wilderness, and God erected a brass serpent for their healing because the doctors and so forth was with them if they had any, could not know the remedies of Egypt, could not cure their sickness, so God had to act. And if a crisis is rose today where we got more sickness in the world ever known, diseases like cancer, heart trouble, that the doctors can't touch, then God duty bound to act the same way he did that or he acted wrong when he acted that time. 
could prove that if it wasn't even written in the Word. He has to be the same. So when God speaks the Word forever, it's part of Him. It can no more fail than God can fail. If one word of God can fail, then God's not infant, neither is he omnipotent. He has to take it back, then he becomes a mortal like I am. Try. But when he speaks, it's perfect. Amen. Oh, that's what I like. Perfect. And we are perfect with the word. The law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the thing, those sacrifices which were offered year by year never make the comer unto perfect. Jesus in St. Matthew's gospel said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. How are you going to do it? How can you do it? How can you be as perfect as God is perfect? But that was a commission or a commandment by Jesus Christ to be as perfect as God is in heaven perfect. Then you say, who can be saved? Hold it just a moment. Let's find out how that perfection is made. Now, God back there in the beginning, when he foresaw down through this streak of time, and he knew they would have to have a remedy to save those which were desiring to be saved. Those who hungered to be up there in that realm, he had to make a way to redeem those people back again. If he was infant at the beginning, there never was a flea, frog, fly, or anything else ever come on earth for what he noted before the world was ever born. Amen. Think of it. He knew you. He knew me. And in order, knowing that our hearts would hunger and thirst after him, he had to make a remedy. His great love and his great power and his great law constrained him to do so. He couldn't do nothing else in order to be God but to make a way. So when he looked down through the stream of time from this end of the fall here, up to this end of the fall, you know what God did? God did nothing else but speak right then of Jesus Christ coming, his own son, which he would he would tabernacle with on earth, came down to, out of the heavens, was made flesh and dwelt among us, redeemed us, went right back up, and standing up here on the other end. And all that great highway that Isaiah saw. Across the place, across the, the span of time, Christ is standing at the other end, the receiving end. Here I was illustrating a little something for the kiddies the other night, and was telling about the father of Moses and the mother, how they was giving the little baby back, committing it back to God who gave it to them. And I said, now, if you... Save your soul, keep it, you're going to lose it. If you give it back to God, you'll keep it. Now, that's spoke five times in the Bible. Now, I said, if, if the father and mother of Moses 
kept him, they'd lose him. If they give him back to God, they'd keep him. And how that that day when they pushed him out in the flags and bulrushes, how God rose from his throne, great robe dropped around him, walked out there and he said, Come here, Gabriel, all you angels, come out here. Look down here. I got somebody breathing. <laughs> I give it to them and they're giving it back. <laughs> they can't keep it because the witches of hell will get it. Them old women going out busting their little heads and throwing them fattening up the crocodiles on them. Said we'll if we keep it, they'll kill it, we'll lose it. But if we give it back to God, we'll keep it. And in this little bark that you're sailing in tonight, you've got a precious thing in there. It's a soul. If you keep it, you'll lose it. Well, keep it going out the world and act like the rest of them. You'll lose it. But if you give it back to the one who gave it to you, you'll keep it. Amen. Just believe me. And they put this little baby in the ark and pushed him out. I can hear God say, Gabriel! Come here a minute. Call 10,000 angels on marching orders and line them all up and down the Nile. You see that not any crocodile comes near that. And when it gets into a whirlpool, see that it gets out all right. You're going to hit many whirlpools in this life, my brother, but if God has called angels on marching orders to take care of you, don't worry, he'll get you out of it. Amen. Notice, and the little ark was pitched. I can imagine why they put that tire on it. You know, like out on the street, old crocodile starts sticking nose up there. What a smell. <laughs> he backed off. And we watch him all at once. He becomes frustrated. And away he goes. Why? Gabriel's sitting up on top of that ark, floating down the river. <laughs> That's the reason they couldn't touch it. It would then give back to the ones that gave it. And that's the way it is tonight. God lets his angels have watch over us. The angels of God are encamped about. They don't go back and forth. They stay here. Amen. Yes. I like that. Yes. The angels of God are encamped about those who fear them. I hear Gabriel say, but Lord, where are you going to be at all this time? I'm going to be on the receiving end, down the other end. <laughs> He'll be down there to receive it when he gets there. There's where he's standing tonight, on the receiving end. He is standing on the portals of glory, on the receiving end, to receive his children. And someday, when life is over, he'll reach down and wind the end of that highway of holiness around his hand, give it a big pull, and when he does, where she broke here, he'll lift every saint right back up into that rim of eternity again, and she'll run to the angels. He's on the receiving end. What's he scared about? Afraid he won't do it? Yes, he will. Hey, as sure as there's a God of heaven, he'll do it. And he's on the receiving end. Oh, my. Look at it. There, when God stood there, and he said, here's my program. And now, a word, in the beginning was the word, now a word is a thought expressed. Now, God was thinking about it. Now, it was just a thought. But when he expressed it, it became a word. And when it's once expressed, he can't take it back. He's got to stay with it. 
So therefore the Bible plainly says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. For the moment God spoke it, he was slain in heaven at that time. The only thing it had to do is materialize. Only thing it had to do is come out your head. Four thousand years later, before he was ever slain, actually, but when God spoke it, it was so perfect it had to be, and it could be recorded as a document in heaven, because God said so. Had to be. Glory said the seat shall bruise the serpent's hand. Amen. Yes. Now, you said that was Jesus. Let me tell you something. How many Christians here raise up your hands? Born again Christians. Good, I guess all of you. All right. Did you know that the same time he was slain, you was accepted? Did you know that? Well, he said, Brother Bram, I got saved about a week ago. Glory to God. New name written down in glory. Wait a minute. <laughs> Don't want to be different, but the Bible makes it different. <laughs> the Bible said over in the book of Revelation that in the last days that the Antichrist would be very religious. And he'd go around just like a religious person. And he would de deceive all upon the face of the earth whose names were not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. From where? The revival. From the foundation of the world. The same time the Lamb was spoke to be slain and the blood then was appropriated then, your name was associated with it at that very time and put in the Lamb's Book of Life. The only thing you had to do is run out to the time that God calls you by the Holy Ghost, and no man can come to me except my Father calls him and all comes to me. I'll give him everlasting life and raise him up at the last day. Wish I was twice my size. Maybe I could twice as much. Think of it. That before the world ever was formed, when the Lamb's Book of Life was spoke back there, your name was associated with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What you scared about? He's up there on the receiving end. He's got his angels here watching over us. <laughs> Let Allie get her sick as nose up and say he's going to do something. If you want to jump out of the ark, go ahead. But I'd like to stay right with it. <laughs> Lord, you said so. This is your word. When you spoke it back there and you spoke my association with it, I'm staying in the Word. You said so. What is the Word? The prophet said. The Holy Spirit come down and just spoke the words to the prophet as they wrote it on the book that God spoke before the foundation of the world. In the beginning was the Word. Amen. Hey, he needed in the Calvary everything that he ever, ever possessed. Christ took it back to the church and gave it to the church. All that God was, he poured out in Christ, and all Christ was, he poured out in the church. Amen. I'm with you, even in you, to the end of the world, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes. Oh, church of the living God, how can you move over little old things that's so insignificant? Why don't you put your faith in the word of the living God and look at men back there of old, the shadows, like Abraham and them. Call those things which were not as though they were. God said so. When Abraham went back then under the laws, probably asked, Man, what's the matter? Are you a hundred years old? And your wife's 90 and say you're going to have a baby? 
Glory to God, yes, sir. Well, man, you're crazy. But there's something wrong with your head. You better go to the doctor. There's something wrong with you, Abraham. No, it's not. I just got to change the heart. <laughs> well, a man 100 years old and his wife 90 today walked down to the doctor and said, Doc, we want to get the maternity room all fixed up. My wife's going to have a baby. The doctor said, well, I, I tell you, sir, if you just walk out in the room a few minutes, it ring the bell. Psychiatrist, come here quickly. Bring your handcuffs. <laughs> sure. Because the wisdom of God is foolish to the world, and the wisdom of the world is foolish to God. Yeah. But those who can never get anywhere, God's got to take God's word and say it's so. Hey, brother, that'll defeat the devil anywhere. Yeah. That'll heal every sick person in this building. That'll give everybody here the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's your promise. Why are you here? If you're here as a real believer, you're sitting here wanting to serve the Lord, God obligated you. could not have that desire in your heart unless God created it in there. You used to didn't do that. But God created himself. Each one of you, maybe the sick people here. Say, I wish I could be healed, Brother Bram. I've been suffering with stomach trouble for years or headaches or something like that. God's here to do that. It's not God, it's you. See, he's here to do it. His word is real. If you can just lay hold of it and say, that's true. The reason is, see, the reason that you were saved so easier sometimes than you are healed is because you was elected before the foundation of the world. Your name is put in the Lamb's book of life, and that's strange. As the son and daughter of God, still hold on you. Oh, you was out and seeing it, it kept scratching your head and wondering, you know, I ought to do that. There's something I, I well, I, I'll do it a little later. I'll let it roll around. There you are. Now, healing is included in this. You believe in healing or you wouldn't come to hear about it. That's right. Now, if you can lay a hold on it just the same way you did for your salvation, you'd get the same result. Got to. Now, the law having a shadow of good things to come can never make the worshiper perfect. Now, why couldn't it? Because there was nothing there to perfect him with. The law was a shadow. In the Old Testament, when he went to make an offering, the man brought a lamb. He took it up there and he, he confessed his sins, put his hands up on the head of the lamb, and told God that he was sorry for what he'd done. The priest cut the lamb's throat, jugged vein here, and the little fellow began kicking, bleeding, dying. His hands was bathed all over blood, and he felt the quivering and pains of that little lamb laying there suffering. He kept his eye on it, shaking, suffering, shaking, suffering, like that. And he thinks, that ought to be me. What a horrible fellow I am. Now what? Then the man went right out of there, not perfect. He couldn't be. Because when he did, he went out of there with the same desire in his heart to go do the same thing that he did when he went in there. Right. Still had the same. Why did he have the same desire? Because why? The blood cell had been broken in the lamb which was the shadow of the Lamb of God. Now when that blood cell was broke and bursted open, the life that was in that blood cell, or in the lie, in the Lamb, which consisted of coming from one blood cell, it all come back to one master blood cell, that was from the germ, which was the pollen from the, from the male. And when that blood cell was broken and this life was separated here, the life that was in that blood cell could not come back on the worshiper. No, sir. Because how could an animal without a soul how could the spirit of a brute come back and coincide with a human spirit? It couldn't do it because it didn't have no soul. It was an animal. Now, but when a worshiper, watch here, 
And in the next chapter here in Hebrews, it says the uh, next uh, couple of verses below here. For if the worshiper once purged, would have no more conscience of sin. And he by his own sacrifice has perfected forever those that are sanctified. Perfected for how long? Forever. Then what is the Holy Ghost for him? We've lied to too many things. You Luthers, oh my. You think because the Jordan Lutheran Church is just your lip of faith? Luther says we got it, but he found out they didn't. You Methodists, when you got sanctified and shouted and clapped your hands and up and down the aisle, you thought you had it, but come find out you didn't. The Pentecostals, when they could speak in tongues or dance in the Spirit, they thought they had it, but found out they didn't. Right. All those things are all right, but that ain't it. It's the person, the Holy Spirit himself, the resurrected Christ. And when you lay your hands by faith upon God's accepted and provided sacrifice, which was absolutely perfect, there's the body of Christ. And out of Adam's side come a rib that made his bride. And out of the side of Christ came the blood, water, spirit, for his bride. And how do we get into that body? By one spirit we are all baptized into one body. And Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus that walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. They're like Abraham. They call those things which were not as though they were because they are dead to the things of the world and alive again in Christ Jesus by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That might have hay seeds on it and sass grass, but it'll shave you as sure as the sand of Moses. Amen. Notice, the worshiper, once purged, has no more sac no more desire sin. No more conscience. The word conscience is desire. Look and see if that ain't right. Conscience is what's in it in there, making your desires. Your conscience is to do it, or your conscience is not to do it. It's your desire. So then if the worshiper under the law could not be purged because that the lamb was only a shadow. And he went away with the same desire, yet it was speaking correctly to the right lamb coming. And then when God sent his lamb, and he died, and the worshiper then coming, putting his hands by faith upon the bleeding locks of the Lord Jesus, and can in your heart appreciate that he was the only thing that could ever come and redeem you, and you'd be lost and gone to hell. And then appreciate his love for you when you were unlovable. Appreciate his foreknowledge of you that you'd have the heart to do it. And appreciate his leading of the Holy Spirit to bring you to that place of acceptance. And you lay your hands upon him by faith and renounce your own life as a sinner and accept his life. Instead, the blood of Jesus Christ then cleanses you and the life that was in the blood cell of Christ, which was none other than God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes back into your life and coincides with your body, and you act and walk a Christian life till the day you leave the world. And the devil couldn't touch you if he had to. Amen. Every promise in the book is yours, then. 
He can't do it. Why? The blood cell. Where did it originate? Where did it originate in the lamb? The little sheep. Where did it originate? From the male sheep. It was a sexual desire. It was sinful. After the God had pronounced this, he made it a permissive. But never the perfect. God made man out of dust and earth and breathed a breath of life into him and he became a living soul. But then, tampering, women become that instrument to bring life. And that reason has to go back. The body, the soul, then, must be taken care of first to originate the beginning of a new life. Did you realize that? Now, the lamb, when its life broke at the, at the place where it was sacrificed, the worshiper with his hands bloody and realizing he was a sinner with the shadow yonder of Calvary, but the worshiper could not be made perfect because by the life that come out of the lamb, he could not be taken back in the lamb's body because he was a human. The lamb would, had a different nature. Its nature was different. Now, if the lamb's life could come back to the worshiper, he'd go back out and eat grass and act like a lamb because he was a brute. So he could not be made perfect. But in this place, where the worshiper is once purged from his sins, the very life that was in that body comes back and baptizes this individual into the Holy Spirit. And this lamb was not born with sexual desire. When that original blood cell started, God Almighty created it in the wounds of Mary. No man had nothing to do with it. And that one blood cell where God brought himself down and come into this blood cell and forgot out a body called Christ and come in the fullness of the Spirit and live in him, then when that blood cell was broke there for sin, every man coming to Christ and purged by that blood has no more conscience of sin and is perfectly anchored in Christ until the day of your redemption. Ephesians 4.30 says, Breathe not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of your redemption. Amen. Boy, that makes the devil go. <laughs> when the believer realizes where he is. What he is. What he is. Oh, it's no good to me, brother. That's right. I never was any good, neither was you. There's nothing we can do about it. That's the good part of it. But when you can just recognize that, that you're no good, then you're not trusting your own goodness. If there's one thing you can do to marry, you'd have something to brag about. Lord, I sought you day and night, but you can't say that to me. He said, no man can come to me except my father draws him, and God seeks man and not man seeking God. Right. So you don't have one thing to say, but God, it was your grace that did it. Right. And then as long as you're accepted in the beloved, how can God bring you into judgment when he's already judged Christ in your stead? How could you have to suffer for your sins when Christ has already done it? Got to be a two-timer and an awful person. That's right. When it was thoroughly paid by Jesus Christ and you accepted it, and as long as God accepted Christ, he accepted you with Christ. And when did he do it? Before the foundation of the world, when he spoke it into existence, he spoke you redeemed with him. And your names are written in the last book of life before the foundation of the world. And then you're scared. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if I could just keep holding on. I quit that a long time ago. I never did even try it in the first place. I just turned loose and let him do the whole thing. 
Someone said when I was sick that time, when you got over, said, Brother Bam, did you keep your religion doing your sick stuff? I said, no, sir, he kept me. <laughs> that's the difference. And that's what happened. When God brought an Israelite in, Abraham believed God, talking to a very outstanding, one of the greatest Christian leaders in the world today, one of the greatest, Pastor Jose and I in the room the other day, speaking on that. See, it's not what we did, it's what Christ did. It isn't what I'm going to do, it's what he's already done. I know I'm no good, never was, never will be. But then in the presence of God, I'm absolutely perfect because it's not me. He never sees me, he sees Christ. I'm in Christ. And my name was associated with him at the foundation of the world. I'm just waiting for the cord to be drawn up. And we'll go some of these blessed days to meet him in the air. Someone said, Brother Brandon, you prayed, you know, many times, way back when I was a little boy preacher, all the people used to come around and say, Brother Bram, why, if that be so, well, then I can just do anything I want to. I said, that's right. Sure. Do anything you want to. If evil's in your heart, then you've never been to Calvary. That's one thing. Sure, I always do what I want to. God lets me do what I want to, and I'm so glad of it. <laughs> if I did what the devil wanted me to do, it's hard to tell what I would do. But I, if I do what I wanted to do, like I did before I was saved. But now there's a new spirit in there. It's not the spirit of a lamb. It is the spirit of William Branham. It's the spirit of Jesus Christ that makes me love the unlovable and makes me do things that I thought I never would do. It's him. Well, if it was me, you know what I said tonight? I'd have called up Mr. Bozan and said, Say, boy, look, I've been up for two nights. I had a bit of sleep. I slept about two hours in the last two nights. Going and coming in. People at the door and everything else and way in the night and try to lay down a few minutes to get you up again. That's broken and that goes away. Here's another. Sure, I'd stay home. But there was something in me. <laughs> that was me. That you're supposed to be in Chicago tonight. And it was 1230 at home. About 280 miles to drive through that traffic. I said, Lord, I'm going. You help me. And he did. I got just in time. <laughs> I was here. See, it's something in you. Don't there is therefore now no condemnation can't be to those that are in Christ, for they don't walk after the lust of the flesh, they walk after the spirit. And if you love the Lord, you want to do everything you can to please him. Well, let's take it this way so to if the unlearned would understand. If you love your wife right. I love my wife real good. <laughs> well, what if there was such a thing? If some other woman would come up and say, Billy, I love you too. And she'd be a real pretty girl and say, I love you. Well, she won't do it, but if she would, see. You know what I'd tell her? I'd say, look, sister, kneel down here and I'll pray with you a little bit. <laughs> Why? Well, you said, Bill, you're in Africa, Asia somewhere. Your wife would never know it. That might be true. And if she never did know it, I'd know it. See? I would know it. And another thing, if I love her the right way, you say, well, she loves you so much she'd forgive you. That may be so too. But I love her too much to do it. See, that's great. Not nothing I've done, but it's just my love for her. And that's the way our love is to Christ when we've been born again and realized that we're sons and daughters of God. It ain't me have to do this and have to fall, that all things to me are lawful, but not all expedient. So it isn't some law that I have to 
preach the gospel. It's some law that I have to do this. Oh. It's because I love him so much. Hey, I just yeah. love to do it. And if you love him like that, as long as I love my wife like that, she don't have to never weary. And as long as she loves me like that, she don't have to weary. We don't go around one another now. She say, now listen here, Mr. Branham. <clears throat> Tell you something right now. You're going away on this trip. <clears throat> I'm going to lay the law right down to you. Don't you run around on me, young man. Mm-mm. Don't you do that. Well, after she gets down laying down the law, then I'll turn back and I'll say, Now, my fair lady, let me tell you something. While I'm gone, don't you have a husband. Don't you do this and don't you do that. Well, we don't say that. Sure. I just love her so much and my trust is in her. And she just loves me so much in the same way. So we as I say, Goodbye, sweetheart. Be praying for me. All right, dear. I'll be praying for you all the time. Hurry back. All right. That's all of it. See? You ain't got no big well. You have to come and be this way and sprinkled and confirmed and brought to this and that and these and that and all these different orders and things like that. If you don't dance with your feet crossed this way, it ain't right. You have to dance with your feet crossed this way. A young lady come to me here some time ago when women wore those skirts that they call scandal skirts. And she come to me and she said, Brother Billy, I want to ask you something. I said, yes, ma'am, sister. She said, do you think it's wrong for a Christian girl to wear scandal skirts? That you think I... I said, what in the world does a Christian girl need with a scandal skirt? If she's a Christian, she'll be so far away from that thing until... Why, it'll be as dead to her as her love is for Christ. And not to be a scandaler. Right. That scorches the short zone. <laughs> That's right. If you love the Lord, you'd be doing something else besides that. I ain't preach all the liberation of women or men, what you want to, but that'll never change the Bible. That's right. God's Word is true, and that's you Pentecostal people, too. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, you lay down the bar some way, something happened. Used to be it wasn't the way it is now. It's just because of the weakness of the pulpit. It's just because you got mixed up in things. If the Holy Ghost taught you better back then, your mammy and everything, and then you start doing this today, the Holy Ghost don't change. It's just the same every time, every time, every time. You know what I'm beginning to think? A lot of times people get one another's ghost instead of the Holy Ghost. You watch them the way they act. You go into a church where the, the pastor is kind of a flighty, wild, fired up and overnight, watch the congregation be the same thing. Brother, I'm telling you, it behooves you to get down and pray to God until that real Christian spirit moves into your heart that settles all problems. You know, the Bible says there'd be a famine in the last days, not for bread and water alone, but for hearing of the Word of God. And that's right. And that's the truth that can be, friend. It's a shame. Would never make the worshiper far, then they would not have ceased to be offered. But because that the worshiper once purged should have no more conscience of sin. <laughs> it's all gone. Now, the worshiper once purged, how does it do? When the life of the sacrifice comes back to the worshiper, then it's meekness, patience, gentleness, long-suffering, goodness, faith. See what I mean? Now, now, what did we Methodists do? We wanted to shout and get it. What do we Pentecost? We want to do? We want to speak in tongues and get it. But that's not it. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. No, no. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, patience, meekness. 
There's not one visible evidence of it, not one fleshly. It's all in the supernatural realm. Right. It's the hidden force that's in you, the life of Jesus Christ coming back on you, the worshiper, as you laid your hands upon his head and confessed that you was wrong. Now look, a good Baptist brother said the other day, he said, Brother Branham, not the other day, it's been a couple of years ago, he said, what, didn't Abraham believe God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness? And I said, that's right. So what more can any man do but believe God? What more can he do but to have faith? I said, that's all he can do. That's all Abraham done. But God give Abraham the seal of circumcision as a confirmation that he had received these things. And I said, then, when all the old things pass away and everything becomes new, when you make your confession and believe and accept the Lord Jesus, and you become meek, his patience, gentle, and faith, and believe God, believe divine healing, believe the whole Bible, believe everything that God says, then that's the evidence that you've been saved. God has circumcised your heart and taken away all your unbelief, and you believe in God then. What is the word sin? Sin is unbelief. Jesus said in St. John the fourth chapter, He that believeth not is condemned already. You don't have to do anything, you're condemned already. Now, drinking, committing adultery, that, that's not sin. You do that because you're an unbeliever. Right. You're an unbeliever to begin with. Right. That's the reason you do those things. Now, if you want to get right with Christ, those things are just or, they're circumcised at the altar. When, God, when you confess it, God just takes it away and puts the life of Himself in you. Right. And then you're in Christ and you can't come to judgment. Jesus said in St. John 5, 24, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall never come into judgment. But it's already passed from death unto life. He can't bring you to judgment. You're already judged. And when the Holy Spirit comes back to make you live this different life, it's God's seal of his circumcision on your heart to prove that you've been stopped your drinking, smoking, gambling, cursing, unbelieving, and not believing in the divine healing, the works of God, and has received God. And it's a seal that everybody knows about it now. You once come in the house like, oh my, angry and kick over something and call oh, my, how you carry on. Like the old man that got converted one time, they said he got saved. I'm saying this for a joke. I'm just saying it so you, I don't believe in joking. But you might see what I mean. He come up the road and he was saying he used to curse and carry on and hoop and holler. He went to a little old meeting and he got really saved. He come back up the road singing, Jesus, keep me near the cross. When he got close to the door, he said to the old hound, looked over there and said to the old cat in the other corner, said, listen to that, would you? He always kicked him off the porch and everything. He said, I bet he hasn't got it. Said the cat, you lay here and I'll lay here. We'll see if he's got it or not. When he got so close, he couldn't stand it anymore. So out of the house went the dog, and around the house went the old cat. He went back out and went out to the barn. He'd always knock the chickens around and beat everything up. Mean, just the devil in him. So the old rooster said, he used to get so mad at me when I crowed to get him up on him, I'll try him out. So he let out a great big crow and flew. He couldn't stand it no more. The old cow said, now I'm in an awful fix. He's got me in the hall room. He tied me around a post. Now I have to stand it. All the fowls and things gathered around said, try him out. Said, the only thing you have to do is switch him in the ta- with the tail right across the face and watch what happens. Said, we'll see if he's got religion or not. Old cow thought it's hard to do. But if you stand saying, Jesus, keep me near the cross, just a milking away, the old cow tucked her tail like this, and she swatted him in the face like that. He patted her home back and said, Bossy, dear, your old soul. He said, Bless the Lord, you didn't mean to do that. <laughs> they all said, He's really God. Now, that's right. 
That's what the evidence is, brother. You pass from death unto life. And all the things that you once done passed away because the life of Jesus Christ has touched your spirit into controlling your new creature. And once purged has no more desire sin as long as you live on earth. So if you're constantly weak and falling up and down, remember, you might have a mental exception of it, but never an experience of being born again. When meekness, gentleness, and patience take the place of this mental theology. Oh, you say, listen here, Mr. Ranham, I, I study the Bible. Our pastor and so forth, I, I study Bible lessons. Yes, the devil has too. He knows, he knows more about it than you'll ever know. That's right. But there's one thing, he can't get the Holy Ghost. You can. <laughs> That's right. So as long as, as he, if he can't get to you, for you are dead, your life is hid in God and sealed by the Holy Ghost. Mm. How could he ever get you? The first thing, you're dead. Did you ever hear a dead man tell a lie? Did you ever hear a dead man fuss back at you, stand at the casket and fuss at him all night? He'll never say a word. Why, he's dead. And you reckon yourself dead and your life is hid in God through Christ and sealed by the Holy Ghost. The only way the devil could ever get you would have to come through the same washings that you came through and receive the same spirit you did and then he'd be your brother. <laughs> See? So he can't get you. It's you that's never come to Christ right in the first place. You get to a place and say, well, I, I still, Brother Brown, I, you know, the Lord never did sanctify me from this. If he sanctified you from one thing, he sanctified you from all of it. He takes your whole soul, body, and spirit. That's right. Don't be deceived, brother. The man who despised Moses' law died without mercy under one or two witnesses. How much more sore punishment though worthy who's trod the blood of Jesus Christ under his feet and tied the covenant wherewith he is sanctified with an unholy thing and done despite to the works of grace? There you are. The Bible said it's impossible for that man to do that. If a man's once been enlightened and made partakers of the Holy Ghost and tasted the power of the new world to come, it's impossible for him to fall away to renew himself again into repentance. So if you're constantly on the up and down, remember, brother, you have never correctly ever come to Jesus Christ yet. If the Bible says, love not the world, Neither the things of the world, and if you love the world, the love of God's not even in you in life. You're only emotionally, mentally worked up with some kind of a church entity, some kind of a theology has been taught you, and never in your life have you ever come face to face and met Jesus Christ and been born again. For when you once fall in love with Christ, the world dies right then for eternity. For you're sealed by the Holy Ghost until the day of your redemption and you're dead and your life is hidden God through Christ and sealed there by the Holy Ghost. Your destination is determined right then when you're sealed by the Holy Ghost. Take an old freight car when they load it, as you send this put in it and that put in it. Well, the car might, if it could, if any human being could do it, would jump up and down on the track and say, Oh, look where I am. You're not going yet, boy. Before the Holy Ghost has ever put up on you, before the seals ever seal that car, till its destination, the inspector comes by. He looks the whole thing over. He examines and sees everything fitly tight. The trouble of it is today we've had in our Pentecostal churches too much overhead religion. Yeah. That's right. 
That's right. Instead of coming back to the old-fashioned blood-washed gospel of Christ. Right? We have too much emotions, too much mental into it, and psychic emotions instead of being really settled down and safe. Because you can watch it when the Holy Spirit comes in the meetings and presses the word. The people don't know how to receive it. If that channel was open, the Holy Ghost would run right to it just as quick as like water seeping its way through a crack in the dirt. Amen. You believe that? Amen. What we need today is a good old fashioned breaking up, like the prophet going down to the potter's house to be broke up and remolded. That's what the Pentecostal full gospel church needs today is a good old fashioned breaking up. Coming back to be remolded again. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us pray then as we bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, just seems so good to stand here in the Philadelphia church and feel the respond of the Spirit and know that the Word is sinking deep into the people's hearts, to realize that they are receiving it, and it's life to them. Oh, how they love it! And it just feeds my soul to see the people respond to this Word, though I have not the ability to put it out the way that it should be. But Father, I pray that it will help somebody. That the person who's weak needed, just stumble along. Lift up those weak and feeble knees. Straighten up those hands that hung down. May they be lifted up and rejoice because there's no need of us to live in a defeated life. Go Sons and daughters of God and the devil ain't got no business saying anything to us. And by your grace, we won't permit it to. When he says something, we'll notice the voice of the devil because it's contrary to God's word. And we'll move right on in the Spirit. Grant it, Lord. Here's some handkerchiefs and these letters, Father. And request for prayer. It's for sick, needy children. I pray that in Jesus' name that you will heal these people. Grant to them their request. Let your Holy Spirit come now and anoint this handkerchief. And may they every one be used to the glory of God as little tokens of love that the people know that you love them. Grant it, Lord. And living in this generation of people of this day when, oh, such treacherous working of Satan. But, Lord, we cast down reasoning and believe in the Word. And we believe that the Word teaches this and we send it to the sick and afflicted in Christ's name for their healing. God, I pray that you'll heal every sick person in presence now. Let them know that Jesus said these words when passing by a tree one day that had been cursed, and it withered up, said, have faith in God. Then, Father, we wonder, as lukewarm, borderline believers, just enough to make them maybe look around, and they wonder, but think of that poor man the other night who was sitting at a meeting, accepted you as his healer. He never felt back to see if the cancer was gone. But on his road down to the train station, the great Holy Spirit reached down with his great hand and moved that cancer to not a spot of it left. Made that poor little Ethiopian girl who was standing there for the doctors to clamp off the nerves that would never be speaker here or walk normally again. And one moment's time performed an operation that could never be done by medical science. How great you are, God. How you can take a sinner's heart and rend it to pieces and make it over new, a sweet, humble Christian. How powerful you are, Lord. And Lord God, if there be sick in here tonight, we pray that just now 
that you'll speak to them in such a way that in the depths of their whole heart and soul that they'll say, Yes, Lord, I believe it, and I'm now accepting it by faith, and I know that as it happened to others, it shall be also to me. I pray this prayer of faith for them. In Christ's name I ask it. Father, if there be somebody in here who's lukewarm or backslidden, or perhaps maybe a man, woman, boy, or girl who's never accepted Christ their Savior, just listen to these ambulances scream every day on the street. Watch these undertakers and the man out here in their yards and graveyards digging dozens times dozens and dozens of graves right for Chicago people. And knowing that our car is hanging out as it was and we got the answer to judgment. Oh, Father, how careful should we be? How we should weigh our thoughts of you. How we should weigh our conceptions and see that it has been placed there by divine grace or is it something that we've worked up ourselves? We realize that in the school of prophets one day, in the great seminary, which had a great name, but some of them cooked up something, but it was death in the pot, and they didn't realize it until they were eating. Now, Father, we pray that if this person tonight is just mentally believing, if they just simply had to know that they should be, and never once had that experience of really having a change of heart of things that's passed away and a new life come in. Through the trials, temptation, it only it only examines your heart and makes you love more. Knowing that God is chastising for your perfection. Father, if that person's in here tonight, I pray that you'll give them a desire right now to accept the real Holy Spirit. They're wondering how visions happen and how the supernatural works. God, how simple it is that they can only just get into that realm. I pray tonight that if there be any here, that you will grant it to them their salvation through Christ. While we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder if there's oh, just a wayward person. I spoke awful hard tonight. Very straight. Been a sassy way, as we call it in the country. Just throw it out the way I don't pre-meditate on anything. Just as I receive it, I get it. Sometimes it's awful cut up. But I depend on him to set it in order. Like the little boy down on his knees saying his ABCs, and the pastor come back and said, what are you doing, Sonny? But I had a good praying mother. I know she prayed, but I'm an orphan. But I didn't know how to pray. But I just said all the ABCs, the alphabet, and maybe God would put them together and know what I was praying for. Certainly. We depend on him to put it together. Has he, has he tied the ends of your conviction tonight to a place to where you realize that you really have need of Christ? If you do, will you raise your hand and do that to God? And when I see you raise your hand to our Heavenly Father, then I'll remember you in prayer right here that God will give you that. God bless you, lady. That's very God bless you, lady. You, lady. You, sir. God bless you. That's just fine. Now, look, I've come to you many times when I'd be under the anointing and speak to you and tell you and you'd see the Holy Spirit working and how he proved himself. Would that Holy Spirit which is right here now, would he let me for 47 years see visions and things that never once fail? Would he take me with a grammar school education and let me win over a million souls to me? 10 years? 
started a revival that swept the world around and caused a million five hundred thousand Pentecostal people to come into the church last year? Would he do that? And then I wouldn't know what I was talking about. Are you really hungry, child, children? Somebody didn't raise your hands and you know you should. Would you just raise your hand to Christ right now? Do it. That never raised a few minutes ago. Seven or eight hands went up. Is there another one here? Maybe you just had kind of a lukewarm life. God bless you, brother. God bless you, brother, too, back there. That's honest. That's just being honest as you can be. While you got your head bowed, let me just ask you just one more thing before closing. Be in prayer, all the Christians. My dear old mother, half Indian, sitting there, hair slicked back, not a gray hair in her little teeny, deep-set eyes looking at me. I looked at Daddy's picture hanging on the wall. I said, Mama. She came over and put her hands in mine, her poor old shaky, wrinkled hands. I said, Mama, I want to ask you a question. I said, what is value? And what should we place value on? She said, what do you mean, son? I said, if I had a hundred million dollars laying here on this table, and there's a little button here, and I'd press that button, and I'd lose that hundred million dollars, but I'd get to talk to Dad again for an hour. I said, I'd press that button right quick. What could I do with a hundred million dollars? How could I evangelize the world and really myself? But I never was too sure about my daddy. He died in my arms praying. But I wanted a little more insurance. And how a hundred million dollars I'd give tonight. Easy. Never think a thing about it. I'd be glad to do it. If I could talk to my daddy one hour. Oh, I believe I could persuade him. What is that? I said, Mama, you remember that old Model T Ford when I was a little sinner boy, about 16 years old? I used to stay home on Sunday, shine it up. What if I went to found a piece of it today? I couldn't find a piece. What if somebody come in here tonight and give each one of you a million dollars and you went out and fed the poor and everything done good? When you died, you went to heaven, but where would your million dollars be? Where would all the people that you fed, where would they be? You ain't got no million dollars, I don't think. But you do have something you do. You got something that's worth more than a million dollars. What if you get some person say, pray a prayer of faith right now, and somebody gets saved. But one of these little boys or girls or men or women has raised their hand. And when, you know what? Somebody said, Brother Brandon, you mean you're going back to Africa? Well, them people that don't know right from left hand? You know them little black boys and girls that out in the tribes there that never had a bath maybe in their life and just as wild with me to run a spear through you? I said, no, they won't. I said, you're going back over there? I said, yes. I said, you know what? If I could get one of those little black boys up on my lap and put my arm around him, tell him in his native language to Jesus loves you, honey. He died for you. And if that little black boy would accept Jesus as his Savior, brother, out in eternity, when that star is shining on her, all my monies and everything else will fail. But my name would be associated with that convert as long as I was a heaven above. That's what it means. Where is your value? In your job? No. That's a good thing to have a job. In your family? No. It's a good thing to have a family. Where's the value at? It's in your soul, brother. That's where it's at. It's in your soul. 
Now, would there be one more that knows that that's true? No matter what you do or how popular you are, you're going to leave the world someday, and if you're not born again, Jesus said you will in no wise enter the kingdom. Though you give a million dollars to the poor, though you belong to churches, you were baptized every way, you made confessions, that still isn't it. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he will in no wise enter the kingdom. Are you sure? Not mentally worked up now, but down in your heart a peace that's just laying there. And you're saved. If you're not, will you raise your hands once more now before we pray? Would you raise up your hand? Say, Brother Branham, pray for me. God bless you, honey boy. God bless this little boy sitting here too. God bless you, my brother. You, sister. Yes, sir. You back there, my brother. You, sister, now. To my right. Someone raise your hand. Say, Brother Branham, I realize I'm not right. God bless you, brother. God knows your heart. That's the way to be honest with it. It's a way to be really honest. Now I wonder, while you have your head bowed, if you've been honest enough to raise your hand, would you stand up just a minute while I pray for you? And then after that, I wish you'd come up the altar and kneel down. But if you're really sincere and really going to serve the Lord from the night on, and you're really desiring that experience with God, if you believe he heard my prayer to give that little deaf and dumb Ethiopian girl the other day, speech and hearing and soundness, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. It's by prayer. That's it. Prayer changes things. You think it would help change your life? Let me pray for you. Would you stand up on your feet? You that raise your hands, would you just stand up for a minute for prayer? God bless you, little boy. God bless you. Just remain standing. That's right. Stand on your feet. That's good. Just remain standing. God bless you. That's very good. Someone else will want to stand? God bless you, little girl. That little girl that raised up there, the little colored girl reminds me of the little colored girl was healed from death and dumbness and crippled for her life. Today she's perfectly normal. Even to her doctor came to me. said, Reverend Brennan, what happened? I said, Jesus came. Now he's here too. Now look, if he's so merciful to heal that little girl, which she'll have to die someday, this body, how much more is he willing to give you the Holy Spirit that you're hungry for to let you live forever? Why are you standing? You know what I believe? 10,000 years ago, maybe before the foundation of the world, God put your name on the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's what's pulling on you tonight. That's that Word of God that spoke that can't fail. Did you know there's people that can never be saved? God knew they wouldn't save, be saved from the beginning. They were born for this purpose. Look at Esau. Rejected from birth. But remember, you standing on your feet, that shows you've been received. You got life. God promised it to you. Now I'm going to pray for you. Does this little boy stand here with his head bowed? How do you know that that's not another Dwight Moody? You remember his conversion, don't you? Remember how that little old hair boy with hair hanging in his eyes knelt down to the livery stable one night and prayed? Sent a million souls to Christ. Might be another. How do I know who you are out there? You say, well, I'm no boy, Brother Branham. I'm older than Abraham was, 275, when God called him. Now let us pray, everyone. Dear Jesus, there's a host of people standing here. I know I'm just leaning over this pulpit, and I know that right from here, as once the Word of God, right from this pulpit, I've stood here myself and watched great powerful visions that shook this country go across this pulpit. Heal cases that male brothers turn down. 
how from here you've made the great things to happen. And tonight, I'm asking you as your servant, if I've found grace in your heart, Lord, I pray that these words that's been planted, this sermon night of words, right down at the heart, and now the Holy Spirit's there watering it. And this host of people has stood to their feet, desiring the baptism of the Holy Ghost for something to come into their life that'll change them and make them a different person. Make them a better man or woman, boy or girl, than what they have been. Oh, God of heaven, hear my prayer and grant these requests. And these who are standing on their feet, Father, you said no man can come to me except my Father draws him. And I pray, God, that you, after you have drawn them, that you will receive them into your kingdom now. And dear God of heaven, let this be so that when life is all finished, and on the other side, may I be able to shake hands with each of these who are standing tonight over on that side, and may be able to say, Brother Branham, it was that night in Chicago that I stood to my feet that my life has changed from that time on. Grant it, Lord. Hear my prayer, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Now you can be seated. How many believe that God receives a messiah? He'd have to. He has to. Now you that stood, how many say I felt better? Let's see your hand. Sure you do. Certainly have to. You can't ask God anything without receiving. Ask and you shall receive. He said, you have not because you ask not. You ask not because you believe not. Ask and you shall receive. Ask the abundance that your joys may be full. God wants to pour out his blessing. May the good Lord bless you all real well. Thank you, my dear beloved people. You know, each time when I come and face audience like this, I think, wonder if they'll all be there when I come back to the next meeting, or will I ever be able to come back again? That's the question. Is this my last night to ever preach to you? Will you leave or I'll leave before we meet again? Have I said just the right thing? Have I, have I done anything wrong that would cause a stumbling block? Or have I done something right that I've put an influence to you that you want to love the Lord? If I've sinned or done something wrong, forgive me, will you? And if I've said something that would make you love the Lord, praise God, and I'll meet you in glory. I hope to meet you back here in the Philadelphia church one of these days, or somewhere on the battlefield out here for the Lord. Now, I'm going to turn the service to the pastor for the final words. Brother Bozay.